you know, we're in the middle of Christmas, obviously, and um, the Christmas season, and I found this book. It's called it's 22 Readings for Advent. It says, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It has authors that are contemporary, but also has like Wesley and like Schaefer and like a lot of classical. It's an awesome read. We're going to sell this in our bookstore. It's a great Christmas book. Um, and uh, the sermon that I'm going to, or the talk that I'm going to give today is uh, a portion of a talk that Tim Keller gives in this book. I don't know what chapter it is, but um, he talks about four different gifts that we get on Christmas, the first being the opportunity to be in deep relationship. And I want to talk about how in the world does Christmas demonstrate that reality and that opportunity. And so that's what I'm kind of talk about this morning, but I wanted to give him the credit for that because I know that Tim Keller listens to my podcast and listens to my stuff. So Tim, I just want to thank you publicly, and uh, you know, if there's anything else you need, any help you need with my stuff, you're welcome to use it. And... Um, and um, just then proceeds to Antley Fowler. Okay, so there you go. But, um, you know, I was going to start. I was looking for this uh, a, a video or a clip or something of an argument taking place. And afterwards, like, Nathan's like, I got this great, you know. And Paul's like, oh, there's that great Will Ferrell one on Saturday Night Live, you know, which would have been a good one because I wanted it to be funny. But all the ones I looked at, like, on YouTube, like, turned, like, they were real, first of all, which was not cool. And then they, like, turned into fist fights. That was not, you know, just would not have been a cool thing to happen at church. And so I decided against it. But it made me start thinking about, you know, at Christmas time, there's like this added stress to our life, you know, because of the holiday season, you know, women are in the kitchen where they should be cooking and stuff. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, but, you know, they have like trying to get the menus together, decorating together where the guys are like worried about football, you know, the teams are in the bowls and all that kind of stuff. It's like serious stress. I mean, there's like added stress going on. And the family life. And so it creates, you know, this tension. And, um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about, well, how do we resolve that tension? You know, is there a message in the birth of Jesus Christ that helps us resolve tension with the people that we love the most? And, and beyond that, the people that we really go beyond in terms of who we're called to love, being our neighbors or our coworkers or, or even our enemies. And the good news is that the demonstration of Jesus Christ God of the universe coming as a baby is the best demonstration of a God who desires to be in relationship with us. And and, and even to go to the next step today, saying that, and because he has gone to such great lengths and becoming vulnerable to know us, broken, feeling our pain to know us, we are then also called to take that same love that he has for us to other people and offer them love, um, even at our expense, becoming vulnerable and transparent. Uh, for them to have growth. And so I want to talk about that this morning and how the birth of Christ represents and demonstrates that. And again, and, uh, this is uh, Luke one thirty nine to 45 that Tim chose for us to discover this gift in. And so I'm going to read that now. This is Luke one thirty nine to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You know, we believe at River City Church, and I talked about it last week, I'm talking about it this week, is that 
Transformation is what God offers. That Jesus coming to be in relationship with us, the bottom line is that, that he is wanting to redeem our relationship with him so that we can be transformed. And when we read and study God's word, and we understand the truth of that word, we take it in, and God uses it to transform us. And the gift of Jesus at Christmas is a truth that has that power to transform it, to transform us, if we allow God to make it real through the power of, our Holy, of the Holy Spirit as we take it in. And again, for Mary, the word came through an angel, and Elizabeth is telling her, Mary, you will be blessed if you believe this word. For us, it's coming through the written word. You will be blessed if you believe that this baby is who the angel said the baby was, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. If you believe that, internalize that, live your life around that truth and reality, you will be transformed. You will be blessed. And I think we lose some of that reality or what that means, that you'll be blessed, because in our culture, the word blessed, I think, has been diminished some. In our culture, the word blessed kind of means, you know, you'll be inspired. You're an inspired person. You're like, you're really good at that. Like, man, he's a really blessed worship leader, really blessed at doing this, that, and the other. Like, inspired, or he's really good at that, or she's really good at this or that. Or we mean, we kind of use it to mean care for you. Or, you know, like I think of like, you know, when you see, you say, God bless you. Like, oh, God take care of you kind of thing, right? That's kind of the, the meaning of the word blessed. But in the, you know, and, and so it kind of, I think, I think again, it just is kind of like this white fluffy word. That's the kind of, the, the kind of phrase that, you know, the definition of blessed is like, it's like this like pretty nice fluffy word. Not, not, I mean, and that's true about what blessed means, but it's not even close to the Hebrew and Greek definition of what God was try, really trying to get at whenever he gave us the word blessed. To be blessed means to be back at full shalom, okay? It's, a, it's, it's full human functioning. Back to the person God created to, you to be. To be blessed is to be strengthened and repaired in every one of your human capacities. To be utterly transformed. And so what's happening here is Elizabeth is telling Mary, and what Luke is telling us, is that if you believe the promise of who this baby really is, that God is coming through the person of this baby, if you really believe that that is true, and you really take it in and make him the center of your life, then you'll be blessed. You will be transformed. You will operate and function the way that you were originally created to operate and function, specifically today, and how you relate to other people and how you relate to God. And in relationships, God's desire for us is to have peace. Relationship with our spouse, relationship with our girlfriends and boyfriends, relationships with our teachers, relationships with our friends, relationships with our neighbors, our enemies, you name it. We were created to live in a way that communicates to the world, I'm okay. I'm being transformed in this area. I'm different in this area because of who Jesus is and because of the place that he has in my life. And so when we unwrap this gift, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, one of the gifts, the first service, you know, is an older crowd, and they didn't like get that. Come on. I love that. That's my favorite movie clip of all time. I love that clip. I don't want to be, anyway, okay, here we go. I get to recite it. I've used it so many times. 
So as we unwrap this gift of eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, you know, one of the gifts he opened, you know, one of the gifts we're opening is the opportunity for our relationships to be deep and to be meaningful and to be powerful and for there to be peace in our life, in our relationships, especially the relationships where there is strain and chaos and confrontation. God desires to bring peace. And so if you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, I know lots of people. Well, I I don't have peace right now. I know in my, this relationship, I don't have peace right now. I'm going to tell you how to find peace. I'm going to tell you this morning that in the birth of Christ, in God coming as a baby, there's a message for us that we can apply to all of our relationships, and he will transform our life. He will bless us as we obey and follow him. Imagine this. Most relationships, most people have had a conversation like this. Dude, what you did to me, that was wrong. I didn't do nothing to do. What you talking about, homie? I didn't do that. Oh, yeah, you did. It's your fault. It's not my fault. You start, I'm going to I don't know what you do. Well, it's not my fault. Why are you talking to me like that? I'm going to open up a can of, oh, yeah, well, if you open up a can, I'm going to do this. It's your fault. Da, 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 da. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, right? I mean, how many people have been, maybe not with that language, have been in a conversation, have been in a similar conversation? Raise your hand. Liars. Everyone better raise your hand. Because, because if you haven't been in a conversation like that, that means you're probably very passive-aggressive and you're going around gossiping about people and stabbing them in the back. Because we know you feel that way at times. So again, how many people have had that happen to them? Been in a conversation like that? Everybody, thank you very much. Just want to make sure I'm making my point. In this scenario, the relationship is falling apart because no one is willing to take the blame. No, no one is budging in their conviction. No one is giving in. Neither side will admit any wrongdoing in the situation. No one will drop their defenses. And so the argument escalates. There remains to be division. And not only escalates, but it deteriorates. It continues to move in this direction. And as long as everyone's defenses stay up and no one moves the relationship will deteriorate. Now, some of us, because we don't want to, you know, we, we're, we're in a relationship with these people and we got to deal with them, instead of lowering our defense, what we do is we just kind of sweep it under the carpet, don't we? Well, I just agree to disagree. I'm just, okay, let's just agree to disagree. Well, that's not doing anything, but like tucking something in the way that I'm going to beat the crud out of you with later when we argue with, about this again. So don't think that you've brought any resolution or redemption because you swept something under the carpet and not dealt with it. But that's what we tend to do. A lot of us tend to do. We're just going to agree to disagree. Well, there can't be any redemption in that because only, only with the act of letting down our barrier, letting down our guard, receiving some of that, can there be redemption. So, so this is what that argument might look like. I told you, if you did that, I was going to kick your... Oh, yeah? Bring it. What's she going to do? Because I did it anyway. I didn't care because I didn't think it would be that bad. Oh, yeah, you didn't think it would be that bad, but look at the pain it's causing me. Look at what you've done to me. You did this. I didn't do that to you. You did that to yourself. What are you talking about? And then the person says, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. You're right. I did that. I'm sorry. Whether or not it's true or not, what happens immediately, what happens in that relationship? Restoration begins, doesn't it? Immediately, 
the potential for redemption begins to bring that relationship back together because one of those people let down their guard. One of those people said, you know, I'm going to take the hit so that we can be back in fellowship, so that we can be back in relationship. One person says, I am to blame. It was my fault, or I'm sorry. One person makes themselves vulnerable, and the relationship then has the potential to be restored. And often, because of the one person's vulnerability and willingness to do that, the relationship is stronger afterwards, isn't it? It's not just like as it was. There's a love and a trust and an understanding of how much that person wants to be in relationship with me that brings transformation to the relationship, brings a depth to the relationship that never existed before. Why would a person do that? Why would a person willingly take a hit like that? Because in the midst of yelling or of being in a civilized word war, both of the same, one person decides that despite how distorted the other person has become of their anger, regardless of what the other person has hurled and accused them of, they've decided at that moment it's more important that that we're in relationship. I'm willing to take the hit for us. He wants the person back or she wants the person back. He wants the relationship to be restored. And so that person's willing to do what's necessary. The only way that happens, the only way restoration can happen in a conflict like that or in a relationship like that where there is brokenness, the only way is by one of the people being vulnerable and allowing their defenses to come down, to allow the verbal blows, the accusations to land and cause pain. It's the only way. It hurts. It hurts a lot often, but it's the only way. It is the action required for the redemption of a relationship. How does that work? I mean, we all know that that works. We all know that we've been in that situation. We all know that we've been in arguments, maybe for months with people, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they come up to us and they say, dude, I don't even remember what we were arguing about, but I'm sorry. I mean, this is ridiculous. We need to move on. We need to move through this. And immediately, there's transformation, isn't there? We all can relate to this. Well, why does that work? I mean, why does it work like that? Why can't there be another system or formula that would allow us to bring our wholeness to where there's brokenness? It works because of this. And I'm going to explain this, this statement. I didn't understand it last night, but I really felt like God spoke to me and showed me some things through it. It works like this. It works because we are created in the image of the one who gave the ultimate expression of this part of his nature at Christmas. You don't understand that, do you? I didn't. Tim, like, Tim Keller, Tim, Tim, you wrote that. Like, it was like, yeah, I was wondering, like, did he think about that when he wrote that? It's like super deep statement. And he writes them all the time, like it's second nature. It's amazing. I've taught him well. I've been surprised at some of the things he said, though. I've been really impressed how he's taken it to another level. But anyway, way to go, Tim. But anyway, this is what it means. What does this mean? Basically, it means this. I want to read it again. The reason that relationships work this way, the reason it's necessary for one person to drop their guard, take the blow for there to be redemption, is this. We were created in the image of God, the image of the one who gave us 
the ultimate expression of this part of his own nature at Christmas. What does this mean? Basically, it means that relationships work like this. Redemption works like this because God showed us it works by doing it at Christmas. God shows us that if you want to be redeemed to a people where there is broken relationship, the way you do it is by becoming vulnerable and allowing the very person who you're arguing with to hurt you. I don't like that, Aunt Lee. That does not sound good. Now, does that mean that you're going to be a doormat and walk all, let people walk all over you? No. No. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about that a little later. But what I'm saying is this. The reason... God of the universe coming as a baby is so powerful. Is the, is the creator who is always right, never wrong, but in broken relationship with us saying, I love you so much. I want to be with you so much. I'll take the hit for you so that our relationship can be redeemed. What does that look like? It looks like me coming as God, but becoming a man, becoming a baby. What is more vulnerable? Vulnerable? What is more vulnerable than being a baby? Nothing. And God shows us at Christmas, if you want redemption with the people where there is brokenness, it looks like this. It looks like eight pound, six ounce, baby Jesus, creator of the universe, coming to restore the broken relationship that we have with our Father. C.S. Lewis says it like this. And again, the point I'm wanting to make is that if you really want to love people, if you really want to be in relationship with people, if you really want to be different, if you really want to be transformed in this area of your life, to have peace in all relationships, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to put yourself out there, and it's going to, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even a pet. Wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. There is no way to have real relationship without becoming vulnerable to being hurt. And Christmas tells us that God became breakable and fragile in the form of a baby. He became someone we could hurt. Why? Because he wants us back. He wants to take us back. And he's willing to pay the price to restore our relationship with him. And again, as I was praying about this last night, God just gave me this great picture. I was really, it was a powerful moment. I wrote on Facebook, epiphany moment kind of thing, God speaking to me about. You know, and I just had this picture of me arguing with Jesus, literally. Me kind of just facing Jesus and just saying, you know, Jesus, you know, all the jacked up things in my life are your fault. My brokenness, you made me this way. My messed up childhood, you did that. The way I raise or don't raise my kids or the way that I mess up, you did that. The struggles I have with this, that, or the other, you created me like that. It's your fault that I'm this way. Kind of hurling these things at Jesus. And Jesus saying this, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. 
But it's not me, it's you. It's your sin, it's your brokenness. I love you. And me saying like, you what? You love me? If you love me, then how come my life is so jacked up? If you love me, then why is there brokenness? Why is there pain still in my life? If you love me, why aren't things better? Why this? Why that? If you really love me, why am I suffering so much? Why is there so much pain? And in the midst of that second dialogue, I just had this picture of Jesus. It was like a shield he was holding, and he just drops it. He just drops it. And all of my brokenness, all of my sin, all of the anger that I had just lands on his heart and nails him to the cross. And Jesus just willingly absorbs it, willingly takes it, allows my brokenness to hurt him, to cause him separation from his father emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Jesus pays this massive price, is vulnerable so that our relationship can be restored because he loves me. Because more important than anything to him is being back in relationship with him and the Father. And if you believe this and you take this into your life, you're going to be blessed. You'll become who God built you to be in relationships with people who don't like you, with your spouse, with your family members, with your children, with your coworkers. God will transform the way you relate to people if you really believe he has paid the price for this to happen, if you really believe that he loves you. But Antley, but Antley, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if I'm right? Do I just roll over? You know, I'm not giving you and telling you to go let everyone just beat the stew out of you. I'm not saying that. But I don't think that's our problem. Our problem is that we're prideful. Our problem is that we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be hurt. So we lock our heart away. And on the stage of being right, we continue to be in broken relationships. We continue to cause people separation from us and God. What if Jesus as I hurled my insults at him, would have said, you're wrong, I'm right, live with it. Eternal separation, eternal brokenness forever. But instead, Jesus didn't. He didn't do that with me, and he didn't do that with you. But he could have. That's what's so powerful about Christmas. He could have, but he chose not to. He chose to be vulnerable so that our relationship with him would be restored. And the restoration of our relationship with him, we then have the power and the hope of bringing relationship, redemption and relationships with other people. Because all of a sudden, we don't have to be right all the time. That's not what's most important. We don't have to protect our pride. We don't have to protect our honor. We don't have to be right to protect God. If your goal is to be right, you will never let down your defenses. You'll never become vulnerable. If your goal is to be in loving relationships, then you will learn to carry the burdens and the brokenness and the pain of other people, allowing their sin, allowing their anger, their life, and the mess that comes with it to rest on you 
and it will hurt, and it will cause you pain emotionally, spiritually, and physically. But the gift of Jesus at Christmas tells us this. You can be blessed in that. You can be transformed in that. Because the creator of the universe loves you, has paid the price so that you would be redeemed to him. You would be restored to him. And in being restored to him, you can bring restoration to other people. The gift of Jesus at Christmas, that he can bless you, allow you to function as God intended you to function, if you believe that Jesus loves you, that he came to restore your relationship with him, and allow that truth to be the center of your life. If you will, this Christmas, you'll be blessed. And you'll bring that blessing, the blessing of Jesus, to other people. Let's stand.